afternoon, America, and welcome to the Dean's List. Today is the day we dive into the Protect Prayer in Schools Act. We've been trying to do this for weeks now, and we're just going to do it. We're just going to take the time to do it. We've spent a lot of time highlighting highlighting some of the negativity that, that we're noticing really across the educational landscape. It's hard not to notice it. And when you shine the light of truth in one area, that light just seems to spread into other areas. And before you know it, we're just talking about the decrepitness, the depravity, the destruction that's taking place in our schools. And I just feel like we just need to take a moment and let's talk about this bill, because this bill is a solution. I don't know that it's 100% the solution. I shouldn't say maybe not 100%. I think it is 100% the solution, but I don't know that it's it's a quick fix. I don't know that it's just going to happen overnight. I do think it's vitally important that we reintroduce prayer back into schools, though. So I'm holding an article here. It is it, the, the headline says, Essex Westford School District provides teachers with resources to implement LGBTQ issues into lessons, talk to students as young as preschool. Essex Westford, I think, is in Vermont. And this school district is providing their teachers with education resources on how to include LGBTQ issues into their lesson plans, talk to preschoolers. So this is where we're at. I mean, we, we can do this. We're allowed to do this, but we can't have prayer in schools since the Supreme Court said, mm, yeah, no, I mean, prayer, that's this. We can't have prayer in this country. But here we are 60 years later, and while it's not appropriate for a teacher to pray with a student, it is appropriate for not only a teacher to teach preschoolers about homosexuality, but it's a it's an appropriate thing for the school districts to provide teachers with that training and with that implementation. It's perfectly fine for the school district in, in Boise, Idaho to teach their teachers on how to utilize the gender unicorn. That's okay. It's it's perfectly fine for a for a counselor in an elementary school in California to socially transition an 11-year-old little girl. I mean, that's okay. We can do that, but a teacher can't pray with a student. Do we see how upside down this is? You know, I think we do. I mean, people in this audience see it. I mean, you guys are you guys are as livid as I am. And 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 we've been talking about it quite a bit. We're going to keep talking about it because we have to highlight it. Otherwise, it's just going to get slipped under the, swept under the rug. It'll just be ignored. It'll just be forgotten unless we start becoming vocal about it. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to stay vocalized. But also, we have to rally behind Matt Gates here with this bill because prayer has been prohibited in schools way too long. Oh, students can pray. I mean, that's fine. if They, they, they can pray if they want. Can they, though? And a teacher can't pray with a student, yet it's perfectly fine if that teacher, you know, 
bust off the gender unicorn and start, you know, going down the fluidity of gender. It's perfectly fine. We're we're okay with a teacher lying to students. I mean, we're okay with that. We're okay with this counselor lying to this little girl in California and saying, you're probably a boy. I mean, we know that's a lie. Any clear-minded thinking human being knows that adult is lying to that student. But yet a teacher can't can't pray with a with a student. So Matt Gates's bill is the subscript says to provide for a cause of action to remedy prohibitions on personal prayer in schools. I love that. To provide a cause of action. We're doing this. We're providing a cause of action that would remedy the prohibition on personal prayer. Because we have to combat this, this ridiculousness that's happening in our public K-12. We, we have to combat it. All right. For those of you that are really geeky and nerdy about this as I am, I am going to put this bill in my show notes so you can refer to it. And uh, feel free to read along with me. I mean, let's just let's dive in. If we're going to take a deep dive into this, and we are, we have to do it historically. Ultimately, we have to defend this bill historically. We just can't leave Gates out there on an island on his own because then, you know, the the leftists are going to say, ah, this bill, it's a it's a right wing extremist conspiracy bill. We can't have that. This bill is sponsored and brought to you by the right wing extremists. No, no, actually, the bill is sponsored and brought to you by the founding fathers. I mean, that's that's really how we need to say this, because we can go back and support this bill historically. And 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 we're going to we're going to go through it and support it his, historically to show and prove that this is what our founding fathers wanted for this country. And, you know, we've talked about it. We've talked about the Northwest Ordinance and we probably will some more. But I think what I'd like to do is take this bill point by point. Oh, man, talk about a history lesson. We are going to dive in. Okay, are you ready? Put on your life jackets because we're going into deep water today. Point number one in the Protect Prayer in Public Schools Act says, the United States of America is a nation under God. Okay, we know this to be true. It's in our pledge. It wasn't always in our pledge. Francis Bellamy wrote the pledge in 1892. He did not include the words under God in it. That didn't come till later, till 1950, 1950, let me get my dates right, 1954. So in 1945, December 28th, Congress, uh, they adopt the pledge, they put it into public law, but it's not signed uh, by Eisenhower until 1954, when Eisenhower really encouraged Congress, and they all supported it, to add the phrase, under God. The prepositional phrase, under God, Eisenhower said, I want it in, and Congress supported it. So on June 14, 1954, President Eisenhower stood on the steps of the Capitol building and recited the Pledge of the Pledge. Pledge of Allegiance. I am so excited about this. I can't get it out. He recited the Pledge of Allegiance with the phrase, one nation under God for the first time. So we are a nation under God. But we, but that didn't start in 1954. 
the phrase under God actually comes from the Gettysburg Address. This is where they this is where they took it from. In the address, Lincoln says that this nation under God shall have a new birth. I mean, think about that. We're, we're going through the, the struggles of a civil war. That's literally ripping the nation in two. And Lincoln, prophetically almost, says this nation under God shall have a new birth. And so here we are. 1954 and eisenhower says yeah we need we need under god and the pledge and congress says yeah we agree with you we need under god and the pledge so it really comes back to civil war era it's not even when it's adopted and signed in 1954 it's at the gettysburg address and what's more lincoln also encouraged the treasury to inscribe the motto, In God We Trust, on the coinage. At the time, that's not the national motto. Lincoln just said, we need to have this. We need to have on our coins, In God We Trust. It doesn't become the national motto until 1956, when, by joint resolution, you know, Congress says, let's make this our national motto, In God We Trust. And now, Louisiana, every public school in Louisiana has that motto in their classrooms. Congratulations to the Louisianians getting it done. But we are a nation under God. Officially, 1954, it's in our pledge. But even long before 1954, I mean, we might as well go back to the Declaration. And this is uh, the second point that Matt Gates is making. He says the Declaration of Independence makes clear that our nation was blessed by the supreme judge of the world, and our laws are derived from the laws of nature and nature's God. So, I mean, let's bust out the pledge or the, the declaration. All of you, you have a copy of the of the declaration? Here we go. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal stations to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the cause which impel them to the separation. So Jefferson says, we, uh, we acknowledge the laws of nature and nature's God. Then he says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. So we have two references to God here in the very first two paragraphs of the Declaration. We have him as uh, our, our legislator, the laws of nature and nature's God. We have him as the creator, if we drop down to the very last paragraph in the Declaration, we, therefore, the representatives of the United States of America, in general Congress assembled, appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions, do in the name 
and by authority of the good people of these colonies solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states. So he's now referencing God in the form of the judge of the world. We are appealing to the supreme judge of the world. So he is his reference to God here is in the judiciary. So we have the legislative branch in the in the first paragraph. Here in the last paragraph, we have the judicial branch. And dropping down to the very last sentence of this paragraph, it says, and for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Here's the fourth reference to God. The declaration refers to him four times. And this one really has reference to the executive branch. Jefferson realizes that God really is our lawgiver. He's our king. He's our judge. I mean, that's that's taken from the Bible. These, these gentlemen understood this. So, you know, Matt Gates is saying in his second point, the Declaration of Independence makes clear that our nation was blessed by the supreme judge of the world, and our laws are derived from the laws of nature and nature's God. And he could go further and say, and we're also blessed by his divine providence, and we also, as a nation, acknowledge him as our creator. And as acknowledging him as our creator, we are also acknowledging that our unalienable rights come from him, and they don't come from government. And that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among, among men. The rights don't come from government, but it's the job of government to secure these rights for the people. That's what Jefferson is saying here. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Oh, this is about to get really good. That whenever any form of government, no, I'm sorry, let me let me jump ahead. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and their happiness. Th these are two important words. Jefferson is saying we're gonna, we, we have the right to lay out a new government which will affect our safety and our happiness. And what does it say in the Northwest Ordinance? It says that religion, morality, and knowledge being necessary for good government and the happiness of mankind, education and uh, schools and means of education shall be encouraged. So what are they saying is the happiness of mankind? They're saying religion, morality, and knowledge. And uh, I don't have the Benjamin Rush quote in front of me. But at one point, Benjamin Rush says uh, he also equates it to safety, safety and, and happiness. I'm going to find that quote for you because I don't like to just throw out quotes without 
a reference for them. So I will find that. But in the declaration, Jefferson is saying that uh, laying its foundations in the form of this new government, laying its foundations on such principles and organizing its powers in such a form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. So they're laying down this new government and they're laying it down in such a way based upon principles and organizing it in such a way that's going to most be be most effective for their safety and their happiness. And they did believe. They all signed off on the Northwest Ordinance, which also Jefferson drafted. And in that ordinance, they believed that what was necessary to good government and the happiness of mankind was religion, morality, and knowledge being taught in the schools. I wish Matt Gates would have uh, pointed that out. Uh, but that's okay, because that's why we're here. We are we are defending this bill and we're doing it historically. We're gonna we're gonna point it out historically. So Matt Gates brought up the declaration. And he brought up two of the four instances that that we refer to God in the declaration. I'm bringing up the other four. And also indirectly, I'm bringing up a fifth when we talk about uh, safety and happiness being the, the, the foundation of our government and establishing that government on the principles that are going to most produce safety and happiness, which according to Jefferson is religion and morality. But yet... We're not allowed to pray in our schools. You know, it's okay in, in Essex, Westford, that the preschool and kindergarten teacher talks about LGBTQ issues into their lesson plans. Uh, that teacher has no business talking about LGBTQ issues in the lesson plans of, of preschoolers. Teach them their letters. Teach them their numbers. Oh, boy. Don't get me started. Okay, we're going to take a break because I uh, I should probably take a breath. And this is a good opportunity for you to take a breath, too. Let's come up from here. Or air. We'll pick it up on the other side. You're listening to The Dean's List on America Out Loud Talk Radio. The pandemic may be over for some. But millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. You've heard Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company discuss the harmful effects of spike protein in your body. And now they found the solution. The miracle enzyme natokinase. Their spike support formula contains natokinase the most compelling and scientifically supported approach to safely clear spike protein out of the body. What's more, spike support is optimized with other all-natural, non-GMO ingredients, like dandelion root, to help prevent spike protein from binding to your cells. Everyone should take daily spike support so you can feel your best. America Out Loud listeners can go to outloudcare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. For 25 years, Global Healing has proudly produced the highest quality supplements and cleansing programs that are rooted in nature and backed by science. Get 15% off all of our products using code OUTLOUD. Global Healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. Welcome back to the Dean's List. I'm Dean Bowen. 
my new email is thedean.list at protonmail.com. That is the new email. I'm not even going to mention the old one. The new one is thedean.list at protonmail.com. This one works. The old one was not working. So I have said that if you have questions uh, about homeschooling, questions about just about schooling in general, if you're looking for a Christian school in your area, I am happy to offer any help I can. Uh, I'm here as a resource for you. So please, you know, feel free to reach out to me. I will help you to whatever extent I'm able to. The dean.list at protonmail.com. Or you can follow us on Instagram, the dean's list 33. That is Instagram. If you use Instagram, I tend to like it. So we are, we're exploring this bill. That Matt, that Matt Gates has put out. It's called the Protect Prayer in Schools Act of 2023. The subscript is to provide for a cause of action to remedy prohibitions on personal prayer in schools, which to me is a, a very important cause of action. We have to remedy the prohibition because since the prohibition went into place, you know, we see where we are. And, you know, go to my Instagram page. I show you the receipts. I've got charts and graphs that describe the decline, the depravity that, that we're in. And not only that, but the, the there are there's a graph there that will show you how badly, how horribly the SAT scores have tanked. Since we kicked morality out of school, since we kicked prayer out of school, since we kicked the Bible out. SAT scores are through the toilet. They're in the basement. And, you know, what did we replace the Bible and prayer with? Because, you know, nature abhors a vacuum. If there is a void, it's going to be filled. And we have filled it with depravity. We have filled it with, you know, the Essex Westford School District has filled it with, you know, teaching their preschool kids about LGBTQ. You know, let's plug these these homosexual issues into our lesson plans for these little ones. So Matt Gates is on this quest to bring prayer back. And his first point was the United States of America as a nation under God. We went through that historically. His second point, you know, he talked about the declaration and how it shows that our nation was blessed by the supreme judge of the world. And that our laws are derived from the laws of nature and nature's God. Those are two important points. We added to those with some points of our own. Point number three, and this is going to, boy, when we dive into point number three, I I have a feeling you're going to be shocked. Because when I started doing the research here, I was blown away. I had no idea. What, what I'm about to share with you, I had no idea was a thing. I didn't know it existed. I didn't know this was our history. And and I think you're, you're going to be equally shocked. His third point says, at the time of the First Amendment's drafting, many states observed state religions and referred to God in their constitutions. Thus, the First Amendment was never intended to contrast with the existence and veneration of God throughout our states. Okay. 
many states observed state religions and referred to God in their constitutions. So I thought, well, hey, let's have a look-see. And so here we go. I mean, just buckle up, kids, because it is about to just get get real here. South Carolina, the eighth state to ratify the U.S. Constitution, stated in its 1778 state constitution, no person shall be eligible to a seat unless he be of the Protestant religion. The Christian Protestant religion shall be deemed the established religion of this state. You know, when they are referring to eligible seat, they're talking to a place in government. In order for you to be involved in the government of the state of South Carolina, you have to be a Protestant. The Christian Protestant religion shall be deemed quote, the established religion of this state. Wow. Did you know that states could establish a religion? Well, they did. This was 1778. Massachusetts, the sixth state to ratify the U.S. Constitution, stated in its 1780 state constitution written by John Adams, any person before he executes the duties of his office shall subscribe. So they're going to repeat the following. I declare that I believe the Christian religion and have a firm persuasion of its truth. The legislature shall authorize the support and maintenance of public Protestant teachers of piety, religion, and morality. Holy smokes. Anybody who was to take office in Massachusetts had to to declare that I believe the Christian religion and have a firm persuasion of its truth. That had to be their declaration. So this is Massachusetts in 1780, and it was uh, written by John Adams, who, you know, John Adams also as vice president, signed off on the First Amendment. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? Georgia, the fourth state to ratify the U.S. Constitution, stated in 1777 in their state constitution, representatives shall be chosen out of the resident in each county, and they shall be of the Protestant religion. Hmm. Interesting. Here's what New Jersey's state constitution says in 1776. And New Jersey was the third state to ratify the U.S. Constitution. But here's what their state constitution says. All persons professing a belief in the faith of any Protestant sect who shall demean themselves peaceably under the government shall be capable of being elected. Hmm. So this is talking about individuals in the state governments. In order for you to have a seat in the government or be elected in the government, so far you had to be a Protestant. Oh, here's New Hampshire. This is their state constitution, 1784. No person shall be capable of being elected who is not of the Protestant religion. Holy smokes. Did you know this was 
I, I, I didn't know this. Did you know? And New Hampshire, they had this in their state constitution until 1877. This was in their state constitution post-Civil War. That in order for you to be elected, you had to be a Protestant. Oh, oh here, here, this is good. Some states were, were, were liberal, were, were more liberal than others. So listen to this. Instead of requiring office holders to be Protestants, all that was necessary was to be a generic Christian or believe in the Bible. So let's go to Delaware. This was their 1776 state constitution. And by the way, Delaware was the first state to ratify the U.S. Constitution. So here's what theirs says while they're ratifying the U.S. Constitution. Every person appointed to any office shall subscribe. So here's what they're going to have their, their individuals recite. I profess faith in God the Father and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, and in the Holy Ghost, one God, blessed forevermore, and I do acknowledge the Holy Scriptures of the Old and New Testament to be given by divine inspiration. So this is fantastic. Delaware doesn't say that you have to be a Protestant or a member of a Protestant you know, sect. Delaware just says you have to, to state that you profess faith in God the Father, Jesus Christ his Son, and in the Holy Ghost. And then you have to go a step further and say there's one God blessed forevermore. And you must acknowledge the Holy Scriptures of the Old and New Testament to be given by divine inspiration. Delaware. Wow. The home of Joe Biden. I wonder if he's aware of that. Probably not. Pennsylvania. Let's look at their state constitution. This was in 1776. By the way, their state constitution was signed by Benjamin Franklin who today professors and scholars will tell you, oh, Benjamin Franklin was a deist. He was not a Christian. He did not believe in Jesus Christ or any of that business. He didn't. Well, here's what he signed. Each member, before he takes his seat, shall subscribe the following. I do believe in one God, the creator and governor of the universe the rewarder of the good and the punisher of the wicked. And I do acknowledge the scriptures of the Old and New Testament to be given by divine inspiration. Doesn't sound much like a deist to me. Nope. Rhode Island. Let's let's take a look at Rhode Island. Their constitution, uh, or they were the 13th state to ratify the U.S. Constitution. And they retained their, their original 1663 colonial constitution which had no religious requirement, but the attitude being that if it was required, an unbeliever might hypocritically say they were a Christian just to get elected. All right, so listen to what they say. By the blessing of God, a full liberty and religious concernments, rightly grounded upon gospel principles, will give the best and greatest security in the true Christian faith and worship of God. They may defend themselves and their just rights and liberties against all the enemies of the Christian faith. So this, this, this was their original drafting from 1663. 
and they kept this until 1843, but they didn't require you to, to say that, that there was a, a, a religious requirement or an oath that you had to keep because they didn't want you to be a hypocrite and say this without meaning it just because you wanted to be in office. But the depth of this, by the blessing of God, a full liberty and religious concernments rightly grounded upon gospel principles will give the best and greatest security and the true Christian faith and worship of God. So if you're grounded in gospel principles, then you are going to have the greatest security in the true Christian faith. Wow. In 1843, their constitution added this oath, so help you God. So after you said this, then you repeated, so help you God. Uh, that's around for almost 200 years. 1663 to 1843, almost 200 years. Oh, here's Virginia. So they're the 10th state to ratify the U.S. Constitution. And in their 1776 state constitution and Bill of Rights, which were mainly written by James Madison and George Mason, Mason here's what they say. It is the mutual duty of all to practice Christian forbearance, love, and charity towards each other. That's their constitution. So they don't demand it. They just say, you know what? It's in the mutual duty of all. It's in the benefit of everybody. If you would just practice Christian forbearance, love, and charity, and if you would just do it for everybody. You know, so where Gates says here, at the time of the First Amendment, many states observed state religions and referred to God in their constitutions. Many of them did. Most of them did. Not only did they refer to God in their constitutions, but they they demanded that if you were going to have a seat in government in that state, you needed to be A, a Protestant, or, or B, uh, a Christian, or C, have a belief in God. You had to... Uh, and a couple of them, you had to attest to the divine inspiration of the Bible, the Old and New Testament. But yet, the First Amendment says that, you know, we we can't we can't have religion in schools. That's what the first the wall of separation of church and state. Do you see a wall of separation? in any of these state constitutions. And these states all ratified the U.S. Constitution, and they all ratified the Bill of Rights with that First Amendment, which has those two clauses in it, which we're going we're gonna to dive into. But this is a beautiful foundation. This, uh, you know, until I started digging into this, I wasn't aware of this. I wasn't aware that these at this time that these state constitutions required in order for you to have a seat in government, you had to profess these things. You had to be a Protestant. You had to profess a, a, a belief in God. You had to profess that the Bible was divinely inspired. 
when the Irish potato famine occurred in the early 1800s, and this is where it gets interesting because the we're about to see how religious liberty expanded in this country. I'm gonna I'm gonna put a pause on it here because I'm gonna go to a break in a few minutes. But I will say this: this is laying the the groundwork for us to talk about the expansion of religious liberty. Because as you can see, it started out in these state constitutions that you had to be a Protestant in most of them. Well, who isn't Protestant? Catholic. Catholic. Anybody who is a member of the Catholic faith is not Protestant. So we're going to see how these constitutions expanded to be more inclusive to non-Protestants. And who else is not Protestant? Well, any other religion is a Protestant. And so we're going to watch and see how in these constitutions that there was an expansion of liberty. There wasn't a contraction. It didn't stay rigid. Freedom is the foundation here in America. And while these states were established that that freedom is founded in Christianity, and many of them said, you've got to be Protestant. We're going to watch and see how this, this is expanding, and it's opening itself to other beliefs. But yet at the same time, while it's opening itself up to other beliefs, the foundation is Christianity. And that is a very important point to make. And I think that's what Gates is getting to in his in point number one, that we're a nation under God. And in the in the declaration, we declare that and our our reliance on him. All right, let's take a break. We will pick this up on the other side. You're listening to the Dean's List on America Out Loud Talk Radio. Well, the out loud truth was the rallying call that started it all. America Out Loud dot News was an idea, a movement, a place where folks would feel comfortable speaking the truth without being censored or canceled. The First Amendment is alive and well. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. Cofix RX Nasal Solution has completed the circle and is now offering throat spray with povidone iodine. That completes the protocol doctors like Peter McCullough recommend. If staying healthy is important, you'll want to make sure to add throat spray to your next order of Cofix RX. For a limited time and exclusive for America Out Loud listeners only, you can save 25% off your entire order. Let's double down against colds, flus, strep, RSV, HRV, COVID, and more. Click the banner or go to America Out Loud shop to get 25% off your entire order. Use coupon code OUTLOUD25. That's coupon code OUTLOUD25. Trouble concentrating or recalling information is frustrating, embarrassing, and kills productivity. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created Focus and Recall to boost your brain power. And unlike other supplements that don't work, Focus and Recall is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients to help you immediately sharpen focus and strengthen recall. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. Out loud. 
Welcome back to the Dean's List. I am happy that you are joining us today here on America Out Loud Talk Radio. We are here Monday through Friday, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, so uh, feel free to join us any of those days or catch us the day after in podcast wherever you find your podcasts. There you can find us, and uh, we're happy to have you on board. Right now, today, we are defending... I don't know that Matt Gates knows that we're defending his bill, and he, he might not need us to defend it. I'm sure he doesn't. I just wanted to offer some historical defense to his Protect Prayer in Schools Act of 2023, because you know what the left is going to scream. They're going to scream and shout that Matt Gates is a right-wing extremist, and we cannot have prayer in our schools because it's too right-wing and it's too extreme. But historically, the defense is that there's always been prayer in our schools. And we haven't got to that point yet, just in this historical defense. You know, Matt Gates, I'm just following his points. And his first point is that the United States of America is a nation under God. And we've we've shown that and we've established it. The Declaration of Independence, he says, makes clear that our nation was blessed by the supreme judge of the world. And our laws are derived from the laws of nature and nature's God. And there are two other points in the Declaration where they mention God specifically when they refer to him as the creator, that our unalienable rights come from him, come from the creator. They don't come from government. And then Jefferson says it's the job of government to defend and protect those rights that's government's job. Government doesn't supply the rights. They are to protect the rights for the people. This government that we are currently under, however, wishes that they could supply the rights because then they could take them back. Because if you can give a right to somebody, hmm, you can take that right back. But these rights, they don't come from government. The right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. No, they come from God. And then the reference to God as, as providence, divine providence. We are under the protection of divine providence. There is a fifth indirect reference to God, however, and I'm going to be honest with you. I'm seeing this really for the first time today in the Declaration. As I'm reading the Declaration, I see these two words, safety and happiness. And in the Declaration, they're capitalized. I'm intrigued by Jefferson's use of capitalization and the importance he places on words that he's capitalizing. And, And here it says that it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it, he's referring to government, and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness for the very first time right here on the radio. I am seeing that the government that Jefferson is proposing, this new government and the declaration that he's proposing is one whose foundations is laid on such principles and organizations that it's that it is to them shall seem most likely to affect 
their safety and happiness, that this new government should be built upon principles, not a foundation, wherein they find safety and happiness. As I'm reading this, what comes to my mind is the Northwest Ordinance, where it says uh, religion, morality, and knowledge being necessary to good government and the happiness of mankind shall uh, forever be encouraged. Um, where it says schools and the uh, means of education shall forever be encouraged. I don't have it in front of me. I'm just I'm just giving it to you off the top of my head. But I but this word happiness triggered it in in my head when I saw happiness in the declaration. I just thought, well, wait a minute. What they believed to bring happiness to mankind was religion, morality, and knowledge. And here, Jefferson is saying that this new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such a form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. And then I mentioned Benjamin Rush because I thought, I think there's a quote that Benjamin Rush has about this. And I told you I'd find it because I don't like to just cite things and just without letting you know where it's from. During the break, I looked it up. And indeed, Benjamin Rush, in 1798, Benjamin Rush wrote essays, literary, moral, and philosophical. And here's what he says. Such is my veneration for every religion that reveals the attributes of the deity or future state of rewards and punishments, that I had rather see the opinions of Confucius or Muhammad inculcated upon our youth than see them grow up wholly devoid of a system of, of religious principles. And that's where we are now today. We've talked about this quote. We are in a system that is wholly devoid of religious principles. And Benjamin Rush, who signed the Declaration of Independence, is saying, I, I don't want that. I would rather we teach our children about Confucius or Muhammad than not have no religion at all. And then he continues. But the religion I mean to recommend in this place is that of the New Testament. And here it is. This is where it gets really good. All its doctrines and precepts are calculated to promote what? The happiness of society and the safety and well-being of civil government. Holy smokes. So Benjamin Rush, who signed the Declaration of Independence, believed that the doctrines of the New Testament are calculated to promote the happiness of society and the safety and well-being of civil government. And the Declaration says, to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Safety and happiness are capitalized. Our founders believed that the foundation of our government should be the Bible. They believed it should be Christianity. That was their take. That I'm telling you, that was their position. And as we as we were going through the the constitutions of the states, they wanted their the men and their government to be Protestant or to have a belief in God or to believe and declare that the Old and New Testament were divinely inspired. 
because they wanted the foundation of the government to be built on Christianity. And they wanted the men to be running the government to have these beliefs, to have these principles, to be established in these precepts. So they could have the same foundation internally and morally that the government should have. Holy smokes. But if I don't think we know this. Well, I know we don't know it because, you know, we believe in many circles that the founders were deists. We believe in many circles that this is not a Christian nation. Well, our founding really tells us otherwise. So at the time of the Declaration, there's uh, stats here. And I, I'm going to give you some resources. I am. I have a book that David Barton has written. David Barton is with Wall Builders. He's not with Wall Builders. He is Wall Builders. This book is called Original Intent. And I'm telling you what, it is a treasure trove. Go to Wall Builders and buy Original Intent. It's not an easy read, I'm going to tell you right now, but moms and dads, if you're homeschooling and you want a history textbook that would be, you know, maybe for senior level, you should buy Original Intent and hand it to your son or daughter and say, here, this is your history text. Holy cow, you will just rock their world in every good way imaginable. It'll be, you know, it's a, it's not a, I wouldn't call it a tough read, but yet it is a tough read. Because there's just so much detail to it. Excellent book. Again, it's called Original Intent. David Barton is probably, he's one of two of my favorite historians. The second is William J. Federer. Federer. Uh, these two men, Barton and Federer, are, uh, they are just treasures, in my opinion, and, and to the country. Just absolute treasure. So the stats that I'm I'm reading you are are from uh, Federer's book called "Who Is the King in America." Again, just two excellent men, two excellent books here. Federer says at the time the Declaration of Independence and Constitution were written, and here's the statistical statistical breakdown: approximately ninety eight percent of the population were Protestant. So most of the country is Protestant. Less than 2% were Catholics, and one or a tenth of 1% was Jewish. That is, uh, you know, so we're not surprised by that, really, that, that our state governments, with 98% of the population being Protestant, we're not surprised that they would require that you, you know, be a Protestant to, you know, sit in government. In the 1800s, though, there's an, a, a potato famine in Ireland, and Catholics just flood into the country. So the, the, the percentage in the early 1800s of Catholics jumps from 2% to 20%. I mean, that's a big jump. And so now we're going to see, based on the state constitutions, how, how the country really expanded its religious liberty. Here's our first example, North Carolina. So this is from their state constitution in 1776. It says, No person who shall deny the being of God or the truth of the Protestant religion or the divine authority, either of the Old or New Testament, 
or who shall hold religious principles incompatible with the freedom and safety of the state shall be capable of holding office. All right, that was 1776. So 1800s, we have this potato famine in Ireland, and then we have this influx of Catholics. So listen to their constitution in 1835. These are the changes. No person who shall deny the being of God or the truth of the Christian religion or the divine authority, either of the Old or New Testament, shall be capable of holding office. So they took out the Protestant religion and they replaced it with the Christian religion. Well, who does that welcome in? It welcomes in Catholics. Here is the 1868 change to the North Carolina Constitution. The following persons shall be disqualified for office. First, in any person who shall deny the being of Almighty God. So now they're just denying atheists. Here is their 1971 Constitution from North Carolina. Beneficent provision for the poor, the unfortunate, and the orphan is one of the first duties of a civilized and a Christian state. So as, as late as 1971, North Carolina was declaring itself a Christian state. Can you believe that in a that post-1960s, that a state constitution would declare itself a Christian state? Would it be probable that a state constitution would declare itself a Christian state if the nation was not built on Christian foundations? No, it would not. Wouldn't be probable at all. Spanish and Portuguese Sephardic Jews had been in America since 1654, but in the early 1800s, persecution of the Ashkenazic Jews in Bavaria and Eastern Europe resulted in a quarter of a million immigrating. A quarter of a million Jews immigrated into the country, again in the early 1800s. American Jewish population grew from a tenth of a percent to two percent. And so various states made accommodation. So listen to this. This was Maryland's 1776 state constitution. Here's what it said. No other test ought to be required on admission to any office than such oath of support and fidelity to this state and a declaration of a belief in the Christian religion. Okay, that's 1776. Here is the change that they made in 1851. No other test required than oath to this state and a declaration of a belief in the Christian religion, and if the party shall profess to be a Jew, the declaration shall be of his belief in a future state of rewards and punishments. All right. Here is the Maryland change in 1864. No other test required than oath of allegiance to this state and a declaration of belief in the Christian religion or in the existence of God, and in a future state of rewards and punishments. All right, here's the change in 1867. No religious test required other than a declaration of belief in the existence of God. So their religious liberty is expanding to not be so specific. 
we just, you know, we're to the point now where we just want you to believe in God. Believe in a God. Connecticut, uh, very similar. Their original 1639 constitution says, by the providence of God, having from their ancestors derived a free and excellent constitution, whereby the legislature depends on the free and annual election, the free fruition of such liberties and privileges as humanity, civility, and Christianity call for. And then that is changed in 1818, where it says every denomination of Christians in this state shall have equal rights. Enjoyment of religious profession shall not be so construed as to excuse acts of licentiousness, which is sexual immorality, carnal intercourse, crimes against nature, etc. Ah, there's just a, you know, there's a lot of history here that I don't think we're aware of. And I think it's important that we know it, especially when we are defending the bill that Matt Gates is putting forth, the Protect Prayer in Schools Act. And Gates has said, look, at the time of the First Amendment, uh, many states observed state religions and referred to God in their constitutions. And it's true. We just went through it. We just went through it line by line. And... Um, I wish we had more time, but today we don't. We're going to pick this up, though. Today was part one. Part two, tomorrow. We're out of time, America. Thank you for joining me today on the Dean's List. Let's encourage your friends and family to also get on the Dean's List so we can unite to renovate the age. <laughs>